All right, got the email from Jason. Going to be reuniting with my old game and former pal, Jeff Court. All right, just uh, an evening of recording myself while reading email. Just a normal thing that I like to do. So what does Jeff have in store for me? Let's see. Open it. Oh, nice. It is the Afghan Wigs Black Love. Beulah, When Your Heartstrings Break. It's like a 1996 album. I am familiar-ish with this band. I listened to the Gentleman album a bunch. I think that's the name of the album. But yeah, this will be a lot of fun. I remember that album getting good reviews back in the day, but I don't know if I ever heard it. But I bet it's good. I'm excited. You are listening to Crossfade, the dueling album review show about expanding your musical horizons. I'm your host, Matt Helgeson, joined by producer and co-host Jason Daphnis. How are you, Jason? Hey, Matt. I'm doing, uh, I'm okay. Yeah, okay's hmm. <laughs> good it's enough these days. these days. Yeah, yeah. Um, but you know what's way more than okay? What's awesome? <gasps> what's that? Our big guest. Not that he's physically big. He's normal-sized guest. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean big in, big in stature. Um, <laughs> please welcome to the show, Game Informer Senior Editor, our pal, former colleague, Jeff Cork. Hey! Ladies and gentlemen. Hey, 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 how's it going, guys? Good, Jeff. Woo. It's good to hear your voice. I was saying that before the show, man. It's nice to, it's nice to hear you, man. How you been? Doing... I, have to, I feel guilty because I'm doing really well because I like this show a lot and I am excited to interact with it. Awesome. Like I like I told you before recording, listen to every episode, and it's like made me appreciate stuff that I don't think I normally would have listened to, and I find myself like it's expanding my musical horizons. What we way, should what, use wow. that? What? Yeah, yeah. You're what? Feel it free. works. It works. <laughs> wow. It worked. No, that's. I mean, hey, thank you. I mean, I really appreciate it, Jeff. That's that. If that's you know. If it's been good for you, that's awesome. Yeah, that's, that's and I will hope. say, like, I, I really like the positivity that goes around it, and it doesn't seem like uh, that, that the, you know, its position is like a dueling music review show, but it doesn't seem like anyone's like, boy, this super sucked, I hated that. <laughs> or, yeah, yeah. Yeah, we mm. haven't had two, I don't think we've had any picks. I feel like, oh, what was the, the Steely oh, wait, Dan wait, episode? Yeah, yeah, I feel yeah, yeah, like yeah. He wasn't Mike Drucker was Steely. like. Yeah, I I, I, yeah. Did, I just didn't like this <laughs> music for divorced dads. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Well, hey, hi. Yeah, I'm right here. Um, <laughs> I'm gonna skirt kind of close to that though. I don't want to give anything away, but I'm gonna be I'm gonna be relatively positive. But Cato, I think, liked it, but he didn't love the production as much. But I think he appreciated it on a certain mm-hmm. level. But you know, Cato's a tough, as you know, Jeff. Cato's, yes. You know, he doesn't give out easy grades on anything. So I I loved games. his like anti ween screed. <laughs> it was a very small focused laser blast of it, but you could just tell like, oh yeah, I forgot that Kato hates that <laughs> that kind of stuff. Yeah, I mean, if I had to really pick a group that is the opposite of everything Kato likes mm-hmm. and his whole aesthetic, yes, Ween would, you know what I mean? Just like it's slobby, stonerish, kind of like funny, which he doesn't like funny music at all. You know what I mean? It's just yes. pretty much everything Kato hates. Yeah, that was good. Um, we're going to get into uh, Jeff's pick first, as always. We're going to do the guest pick. And this was one, it was interesting because, well, we'll get to it at, towards the end, but I actually did know one of these songs really well. And I'm assuming it was probably because Radio K, which uh, for people outside the Twin Cities area is the University of Minnesota mm-hmm. uh, college radio station. I'm pretty sure they, they played uh, 
the last song in this album a lot. And I was kind of oh, really? Oh, wow. Yeah. I mean, that, you know, I'm just assuming because I used to listen to it a ton back then. Mm-hmm. And I, I totally knew the song, but I don't own this album. So yeah, I'm assuming it seems like a real 99 Radio K jam <laughs> too, you know? Yeah. Um, so yeah, we'll get into the album is Beulah. The mm-hmm. album is When Your Heartstrings Break. And I'd forgot too that they were part of the whole like Elephant Six record label which was a bunch of bands like neutral milk hotel apples and stereo olivia trevor control of montreal Mm -hmm. elf power Mm -hmm. i'm actually very surprised i didn't listen to beulah at the time because i was super into neutral milk hotel super into apples and stereo in like middle high school Uh uh-huh and uh and i even like memorized the elephant six bands but never got never got around to beulah for some reason oh interesting yeah, I feel like they were sort of more out towards the. They, they were. I wonder if they were a little younger than those guys. They seem like they were at sort of the tail end of it. Cause yeah, I, I think I think Rob Schneider, the guy. Well, not Rob Schneider. Robert <laughs> Schneider. Rob Schneider, <laughs> famous producer. Uh, the Kevin lead- James actually produced this record. <laughs> the the lead guy from Apples and Stereo, I think, discovered them. If if I read correctly, uh, so yeah, it would make sense that they're a little bit younger, sort of next generation of the of the label. Yeah. But uh, I was really glad to dig into them this time. Yeah, it's a great record. Um, and I think it, you know, Elephant Six, I, I don't know how, I mean, I guess they were kind of like the Wu-Tang Clan of like twee bands that wore like cardigans <laughs> oh. and stuff like that, you know? Mm-hmm. I mean, they were kind of like this collective basically that a lot of bands, and I think that Beulah has, uh, you know, there was a lot of difference, like Neutral Milk Hotel is a lot different than Al- Apples and Stereo mm-hmm. or Beulah, but I think they also, had, they all kind of had a certain like kind of late 60s kind of pop vibe, and they always... I think, which is one of the real strengths of this Bueller record is just, I think they all had really cool arrangements. They used a lot of instruments that maybe weren't used a lot, especially in the 90s in rock, you know, kind of harking back to maybe like the Beatles or Beach Boys. Um, so Jeff, t- talk a little bit about Bueller and like, you know, this is your pick. I yeah. Mean, I'm assuming it means a lot to you and like kind of how you got into this band. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so the first time I'd, I'd ever... It wasn't even that I heard of Beulah. I was working at uh, an indie record store in Duluth, uh, the Electric Fetus, and one of my favorite things to do at the time was putting out new CDs, which is good because that's what a lot of that job is. And so the cool thing about working in a record store is like if you found something that sounded or looked interesting, you could just put it on the speakers overhead and listen to it at work for free. So just kind of on an impulse, I really liked the cover for the album that came out after this the coast is never clear and uh loved it just absolutely adored it it was like it's such a great like poppy summer album you know and it just really evocative of like a certain mood that i was looking for and uh i just instantly fell in love so then i was like i've got to hear everything that this band has ever done Unfortunately, it didn't take that long because they only had two albums out before that. Uh, when Your Heartstrings Break, which Coast is Never Clear, the album that I first heard came out in 2001. And then When Your Heartstrings Break came out two years before that. And then it's almost like a pattern. Two years before that, their first album, Handsome Western States, was released. So I got, well, I ordered from work When Your Heartstrings Break. And then, but I was also like, I really want to hear this now. So I downloaded it from like LimeWire or whatever, which is interesting because like (laughs) it was all out of sequence. So I had all the songs, but like they were in a completely different order than like as they appear on the album. What a time capsule though. That that was such a universal experience getting a jumbled album. (laughs) Absolutely. So like what was the final song on this album was the first song that on my version of it, at least 
So then when I finally did get the actual CD, it was just like almost a new experience there too, if that made any sense. It just showed like, I'd never really thought about sequencing before in any way. And it was just like, it really does mess with your mind a little bit there. But anyway, yeah, Beulah was just a band that I really loved, and I love this album. It has one of my like all-time favorite songs to this day on it, and it was a band that also, I was just starting to date my now wife, and she was really into them, and we got to see them a couple times play, you know, playing live in the cities at the, uh, the 400 bar, I think they played. Oh, wow. And uh, so good and so much fun, and I just have so many positive memories about this band and their music, and... There's still something that I can put on and like just just get really really happy. I just I, I love their sound, and it's one of the few bands too that like I said like my wife likes them as much as I do. She's kind of like in and out of music. I don't I'm I'm certainly not as as into like new bands as I used to be, but you know we were both really passionate about them for a long time. That's awesome, and I think you know you touched on it. The it is very summery music. I would say mm-hmm. overall, which is. You know, it was a good it was a good thing to listen to this week, and uh, you know, I uh, well let's get into it. I mean, yeah. I mean, I think this score from Augusta starts off the album. I think it's a really strong song. And Jason, I wanted to hear a little bit of, like from the beginning, I and mean, I thought there was kind of a cool organ solo at a one fifty five. That's overall the whole record. I mean, and I think this was, you know, typical of a lot of Elephant Six bands. They just do such a nice job with arrangements, I think, and, and throwing like kind of unique sounds in the mix. Mm-hmm. Jeff, did you ever think about what these songs are about in those sequencing? Like, when things got hashed out, did you ever think about, like, the lyrical content of this record? It's it's funny that you mention that, because um, I think there's kind of that, are you a lyrics guy or are you a music guy? You know what I mean? And I kind of veer wildly in either direction. And, like, with uh, The Coast is Never Clear, that's, like, a really... I think the songs are more personal, so I'm really into the lyrical content in that. I think this listen was like one of the most like intense listens that I've had of this particular album. And so I was like reading along as the songs were playing. I'm like, I really have no idea what most of these songs are about. So like, I think they're more like, for me at least, evocative of like, they, they sing about like the West and Hollywood and just kind of like the artifice of film production, and it's like a common theme. But if you were to ask me to like analyze 
what each song is about, I would I would whiff it most of the time. <laughs> At least I on this think- album, like for like some of their other stuff, it's very obvious what what things are about. But I think this one is like kind of oblique in a lot of ways. Yeah, like they start singing about Augusta, Georgia, which I guess was like literally spared from the Civil War. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know. I, I, I too was just doing some. Uh, like lyric researching I, I think it's just one how like albums that you fall in love with for one reason or another you like you don't focus uh, like you said either on the music or on the lyrics they just become like part of one whole thing and yeah. that seems how, to be how we remember these these records yeah, yeah absolutely I agree I don't know if I know what any of them mean but I think they have a good way with lines like that in that last song like that South shall be spared line mm-hmm. and bullets fly from her eyes is kind of like sounds cool yeah Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, that's half the battle, right? Yeah. Um, and yeah, overall, it, it's just such a good sounding record, too. You know what I mean? Like, the production is so good. I mm-hmm. think they just, they, they put things together. Um, and uh, another thing, in this this next song has this, too, um, Sunday Under Glass, which I like mm-hmm. a lot. Um, another thing I appreciate about this band, and Jason, this almost reminds me a little bit of uh, Lucy Dacus. Is that Ooh. they they do something I like <laughs> where if a band comes back, like the second verse, often they will add like another little instrumental thing to the second verse, mm-hmm. or like the second time the chorus comes around, there might be like some weird keyboard or like a xylophone or something. You know, like I, I like the fact that they just don't do the kind of like I'm trying to think of a band that's really predictable, uh, like Weezer or something like that. Mm. You know what I mean? Like you know, with a Weezer song, it's just going to be. Exactly, verse, chorus, verse, chorus, verse. You know what I mean? And, right. And like, I kind of like how they, they, they throw these little, even though they are very poppy songs, and they're not really a million miles from Weezer in a way, mm-hmm. but there's like little creative twists and little odd parts that they kind of throw in that I, I think elevates it Yeah, and makes it a little more interesting to me. Yeah, I suspect that, that a Google, uh, or a uh, rather an Excel spreadsheet doesn't come into their songwriting in much the same way that, like with Weezer and Rivers Cuomo's <laughs> process. <laughs> I mean, and I shouldn't pick on Weezer. I mean, they, you know, they've been phoning it in for like 25 years at this point. I don't think, I don't think they even care really. So like, I will say they save it for the live shows though. We saw, I saw them like last year when we were still allowed to go out in public. One of the best, funnest shows I've been to was phenomenal. I was really surprised. Yeah, no, I mean, I've seen them a couple of times. It was great. I think we all went, the whole Game Informer crew went to the the Green Album tour one time. Oh, fun. Cause, uh, have you ever heard of John Storm? Mm-mm. He's an old editor. He was from Buffalo, and he went to high school with Pat, the drummer. Okay. So we got on the guest list that night. It was pretty yeah. fun. Anyway, Weezer memories. But uh, <laughs> let's listen to let's listen to Sunday Under Glass because this is another really uh, a great song. I think. The scenery rides by just like floats lost in a parade. Where the palms and tumbleweed sail Right past the homes they stretch and they fade Rolling like movie credits Far beneath the clear skies How wearing does the West carry So many sides It's such a good chorus Mm-hmm Yeah. 
Yep. Right there. Yeah. Sometimes their choruses remind me, like the vocal melodies remind me of another old 90s band. That's one of my favorites, Built to Spill, a little bit. Oh, absolutely. Like, just not the, the, the you know, Built to Spill is way more of a guitar thing than this, mm-hmm. but like just the actual vocal melody and his voice sometimes reminds me of Doug. Yeah. I think that's another band, too, where it's just like hooks to spare. Like, there's so many, like, like even what you consider like a throwaway moment in one of their songs would be something that another band would use as like the basis for an entire song and it's just like mm-hmm. ah, here's just a few bars of something insanely catchy totally or like r- right here this part i love yes this part, this part right here exactly what is what i'm talking about Mm-hmm. Come on. Yeah. But yeah, you're right, Jeff. Like even in that hook, that's really hooky. That little flute line is like mm-hmm. super catchy. They just it's loaded with just like hooks. Yeah, yeah. And it, they were really fun to see live too because like the guitarist also played the trumpet, so it was like this juggling act that he he do, and uh, it just seemed like it was always just about ready to go off the rails. But I mean, they were. You know, pretty tight live. Nice. Yeah, I wish. Boy, I wish I would have seen them. Especially the 400 bar was really small too, so you mm-hmm. could get. Must have been right up there. Yeah, it was great. They actually have a. There's a documentary that they released. Uh, a good band is easy to kill, and I think if you if you watch it, you can like blink and you'll miss. It. I think I'm in it in the front of one of the shows. What? Wow. Yeah, pretty exciting. There's a Beulah documentary. Yeah, it's great. It's it's kind of like oh. the band has a kind of a sad trajectory because they never really reached the success that they wanted and i think like miles karoski the like the lead singer and songwriter he was saying like their their last album yoko uh was like we're gonna break up if it doesn't go gold and it didn't go gold and (laughs) the the dvd of the 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 documentary is uh just following their kind of final tour and there's just kind of this real sad mood around it all but like it it's a the their last album is a pretty sad album too, but it's it's phenomenal though because it does capture a lot of the fun and energy of those live shows as well as is much of a bummer as the the surrounding circumstances may have been. Yeah, they so they announced that they wouldn't be making another if it didn't go gold. It didn't go gold, and then they're touring with that knowledge. Yeah, but wow. well, I mean, but they, they probably were, like, were obligated to tour just from the label, right? You know what I mean? If yeah, it, if they put just, it out, you're probably obligated to do like just the thinking, country swing, you know? Yeah, yeah. Just think about like carrying the corpse of your band around just for for that long for a whole <laughs> yeah. tour they I mean, soaked like up a Bula, lot of love yeah but gold seemed really <laughs> ambitious you know yeah. for a band that i can't imagine ever sold much more than maybe like eighty thousand records in that mm-hmm. zone you know um but who knows i, mean, I suspect happen. it's actually good timing for this too because i suspect the same personality who would say something like that is also the person who wrote the lyrics for the next song Matter versus space, which are kind of hilariously snide in a really fun way. It just kind of comes out of nowhere, considering the rest of the album, or up to this point at least. Yeah, let's listen to it. Is there a particular part you wanted to listen to? Jeff, yeah, right or? around the one minute mark, I think, is when when he kind of kicks in. When he gets sassiest. He gets sassiest, exactly. 
All right, here we go. I just love that as the confetti falls, timed with your tears, nobody wants to hear about your hardwood floors. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is one that I actually know kind of what it's about, but it's just basically young people getting older at a house party, and it's that awkward transition where people are probably starting to get matching plates and cups. <laughs> and totally. Yeah, that is a big, that's a big thing, Jeff. Yeah, it's a huge transition for people, yeah. Other than having a child, that's like the biggest thing. It's one of the big transitions. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, there's always that, that that first party you go to where someone is just like, oh, if you could not spill that, that would be great. And there's just that moment of disbelief. Like, this is a party. Of course it's going <laughs> to... That's what I do. <laughs> I spill stuff. It's fun. Yeah. <laughs> I always... I forgot, too, that these guys... Because I think a lot of those Elephant Six bands were from sort of the Athens, kind of more of the South, like Georgia and stuff. And these guys were from San Francisco, I believe. Yeah. So they maybe maybe that explains kind of the more California vibe. But, mm-hmm. but it, it feels more Southern California than Northern California to me. But, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, yeah, there's a song, speaking of speaking of Southern California, I think there's several places, um, I think, all over them, really, like in the, in the arrangements and, and a lot of the instruments they use that really call back to the Beach Boys. Mm-hmm. I think of particularly like the kind of later like Pet Sounds. Yep, smile era stuff and um, calm goes the wild seas. I think it's another kind of nautical theme, and, and mm-hmm. this one kind of really recalls the Beach Boys and, and a lot of the stuff I love about the Beach Boys. Like that right. instruments right there is just mm-hmm. like so. It takes a strength beyond strength to smile. I'm missing you like hurricanes. I'm a sucker for that vocal effect in songs. Yeah. Like that like uh, megaphone radio yeah, style. Exactly. Yeah, that's good. Have you ever heard Beck? Beck? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he likes that one. <laughs> you should check him out. All right. Jeff he's a, Beck. He's a I'm singer, writing it singer, down. Singer-songwriter. Singer-songwriter from the LA area. <laughs> named Beck. I love that roller rink organ too. Mm-hmm. That's that's exactly what it makes me think of too. It's just a uh, roller rink. It's very specific. So Jeff, did when you saw him live, like mm-hmm. this song makes me curious. Um, 
because it has so many different instruments. Did they were they kind of like a little more of a like a rock and roll band live with some instruments, or did they really go out of their way to try to do a lot of the like alternate kind of instrumentation? They didn't do a whole lot of the alternate instrumentation, if I remember correctly. But like the trumpets were certainly center stage. Like that was an element that they brought on the road for sure. Okay, so did they have like a? Did they have one of those guys that did kind of like utility man kind of things where he switched around, or was it more? I, I think the keyboard player may have played something else. It's been a long, t- uh, yeah, it's a long but, time. Yeah, it's a long time ago. I remember dancing. Yeah, I guess it would be hard for this band to do it live without the horns. I think. Hmm. That's a pretty song. Um, are there any... I mean, Jeff, I mean, this is your pick, so I want to make yeah. sure we get into the ones that you want to talk about. I have a couple other ones I want to talk about. Yeah, for sure. Any other ones that are particularly, like, that you like a lot or are meaningful Absolutely. To you? I would say, like, my... It's it's funny you skipped right over it. My, like, this is one of my absolute... It's kind of silly, the idea of having, like, favorite stuff as I get older, but, like, this song never fails to, like... I just, like... It gives me, like, goosebumps every time. I just think it's, like, one of my favorite songs is uh, Emma Blogun's Last Stand, which is certainly a difficult one for the this show. I would recommend that people just listen to it because it has a build-up that's about two and a half minutes before the song actually starts, but I think that's part of why I like it so much. I, yeah. I'm just a big sucker for things that take a long time to build up and swell, and then like the payoff is really great. Uh, they did a, like a music video for it that has like a shorter edit of the song, and I don't think it's nearly as effective just by the fact you don't you don't have that long kind of crescendo up to everything. Yeah, I actually did. I had some notes on this. I think, Jason, the, the switch is about 220, but I do mm-hmm. like it because they, you know, to, at 220, I'd sort of accepted like, oh, they're doing like an instrumental. I get mm-hmm. it. You know, and then all of a sudden it's like, oh, wait, there's there's vocals. Okay. So yeah. why don't we hear a little bit of the beginning, then skip to 220, Jason, because that's kind of give you a sense of how it builds a little yeah. bit. And then. Is that a tabla? I think maybe. imagine this one getting the crowd real riled up live Mm, it's yeah it was amazing i was so happy they played it yes i I love this group let's go to 220 so you can kind of hear where because at this point i thought oh they're just kind of doing this almost like kind of like indie rock version of an Mm -hmm. electronic dance kind of song or something you know what i mean it was just kind of a vibe and then yeah i was surprised when it turned into like more of a a regular song at, at the 220 mark
What do you think of his delivery in most of these songs, Jeff? Because he ranges from like really impassioned, like almost whininess to just mm-hmm. sort of like flat blase, like Yola Tango ish. Yeah, uh, and I, I've yeah, had there, to pick like, just the right there's times obviously to do it. like kind of a yeah, there's kind of a disaffected pose to some of some of the the ways that he sings, and I I'm really into it. But I can understand how yeah. like some people may be put off a little bit by it. Sure. I think it kind of makes up for it, like these harmonies in the background. Mm-hmm. The very Beatles, like, la 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 la. Ch- yeah. Like, contrast it in a very funny way that I can't not laugh at. Yeah. I always wonder if some of these, um, you know, because a lot of the Elephant Six, like, you know, if you go back to, like, Apples and Stereo, like, Oliva Tremor Control, like, they were probably started maybe the early 90s. I always wondered if, like, in the 2000s, if some of these bands kind of watched bands like say the decemberists get really big and kind of be like shit like, <laughs> that's, that's, what, that's our thing you know what i mean like yeah we, we were like and they were all starting to kind of fade out i think at the turn of the century a little bit mm-hmm. um but i just feel like there was a lot of bands like in that early 2000s to mid 2000s that kind of did stuff like this maybe a little bit more professional or something mm-hmm. and, and kind of got a lot bigger than these bands did really yeah This is an awesome song. Jason, there was a couple other ones I wanted to for sure get to. Um, this The next one is probably not one of the most adventurous like in terms of arrangement, mm-hmm. but I just think it has such an awesome chord change, especially in the chorus. It's called Warmer, and you mm. can just run that from the beginning. But I really love I love the chorus in this song a lot, and I think it's just got a nice kind of... This one is like change. summer.com in my <laughs> brain. <laughs> totally. <laughs> This is damn near like Billy Joel. Mm-hmm. Right now. <laughs> At your Italian restaurant. <laughs> okay, fine. When she starts to sway, the floor is blacker than the sea. I think it's the chord progression, Matt, that you were mentioning that makes mm-hmm. me think this is probably the most Beach Boysy mm-hmm. on yeah. the record to me. Right here is so good. Whew. Yeah, this part here. I think I think you you raised an earlier point with like the arrangements, Matt, and I think that they're so smart and economical about what they have because it sounds a lot lusher than if you like break it apart in your mind. You're like, there's really not a whole lot going on here, you know. It's not like they've got no. a stage full of musicians, but they're I think it's very clever about how they use every bit of it to kind of more like than the, just the sum of the parts. If that makes any sense. No, absolutely. And I think they're they're clever, too, because they kind of always, if they add something new, it's usually like, some bands just kind of layer one thing and then another and another and another. They kind mm-hmm. of pull the other thing back and then do the new thing. So you're always, I think your attention's always kind of drawn mm-hmm. to whatever the new element of the track 
that they're yeah. sort of introduced to. So it, I think you're right. They listening now. These are actually like not that many tracks. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's, it's but it feels sort of like in that Beatles kind of Sergeant Pepper, you know, Beach Boys kind of vibe. Yeah, even though it's really not. <laughs> So Is that a French horn even? I get that. Yeah. These guys' studio must be really cluttered. Yeah. With like exactly. lost instruments. <laughs> or maybe they're just one of those bands that like just thinks of people and like, you know. Did Rick play like French horn in high school? Yeah, exactly. Call him. Yeah, I'll give you a loaf of bread if you come over and just yeah. like lay down some tracks quick. Uh, this is a good song. Um the next song too I'm, I'm assuming this is probably one of your favorites too because to me it, it, I, I thought it was interesting because I think if they were had been on a bigger label mm-hmm. like a major label that this song would have been the first song mm-hmm. in, the, in the sequencing not the last song yeah so I thought that was kind of gutsy because to me uh, the song in question uh, if we can land a man on the moon surely I can win your heart mm-hmm. um, this is the one I remember getting played on Radio, radio K and I, I bet that they weren't alone like you know in being a college radio station that picked the song up because to me this is just like I don't know, like mid to late nineties indie rock kind of personified in a certain way. You yeah. know what I mean? Of of that kind of stuff that was going on, which I was a big fan of. And yeah. I just think this this is just a killer track to me. hmm It's also in that You're weird not- subgenre of a band singing about being a band. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Another popular thing in the nineties. Yeah, exactly. Uh, this was also featured, I think, on the Scott Pilgrim soundtrack. Oh, Anybody really? Remembers that oh, movie? Yeah. Okay. I think this is the one they picked from that, which totally fits. Hmm. Also, halfway through the song, they get into the harps. They have a harpsichord. Yeah. Which I think it's like you can't if you do a record like this without a harpsichord, like you get thrown in jail. Yeah, absolutely. Like, you have to have a harpsichord at some point. Yeah. I, I wonder if it's really a harpsichord or is it like a sped up piano? It could be. I mean, you can do a lot of things. You can put like tacks on a piano and stuff mm-hmm. like that too. You know, it's... Harpsichords are yeah probably pretty expensive and hard to maintain, I yeah. would imagine. Like this chorus over there. Oh, oh it's... Yeah, I'll play. Speed it up slow it down. If you want, we'll change the sound. We'll play. Yeah, we'll yeah, and that whole like '90s theme of like wanting to sell out but not really wanting to sell mm-hmm. out and feeling bad about wanting to sell out. Like, exactly. That's the whole thing. Yeah. Well, it has to be frustrating to be a member of this band and like to a certain point you're self-aware and you realize like these songs fucking rule. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like we are making things that sound good, and it must be frustrating if like the audience just doesn't seem to be there in the way that you expect. Yeah, yeah, especially, I mean, because there's, certainly there's bands that I like a lot that I, I don't sit around and say, like, oh, they should have been huge, because, mm-hmm. like, I just don't see them as being that, like, Pavement or something's a band I like a lot. Yeah. I just don't see Pavement playing, like, a big, you know, hockey arena or anything, something mm-hmm. like that, but, like, these guys really had, like, and, like, I think that was proven, like, I mentioned bands, like, I think the Decemberists got to be playing, like, pretty large theaters and venues mm-hmm. and stuff, and I don't think that's a, a million miles away from this. Yeah. Yeah, we had a lot of angst about selling out in the 90s, and, like, nobody gives a shit now. It was one of the most pressing national concerns. (laughs) (laughs) What's your stance on selling out, sir? Stop deflecting. (laughs) 
Matt, did you ever feel uh, like you wanted to sell out as a member uh, of any of your bands? I was, uh, I, I, someone would, would want to have to buy for you to sell out, <laughs> and that was never uh, much of an issue. No, I mean, I you know, no. I mean, we did okay. You know, we got played on Radio mm-hmm. K and stuff. So, you know, that was good enough. I did hear my song in a, like the car a few times. That was That's cool. Fun. This part right here is real stinky, and I kind of like it. Yeah, he's really being kind of ironic and snarky here. It's mm-hmm. funny. It was our currency. I will say, like, if you like fun pop music, I can't recommend Beulah enough. Like, they're... And they follow a really interesting trajectory, too, because I think this is right before, like, they're at the stage in their their career where the production is kind of able to live up to what they probably hear in their brains. They're right on the cusp of that happening. And I think the next album, The Coast is Never Clear, like, it, the everything kind of aligns where it's it's a really, like, dreamy, fun album to listen to. And I think the songwriting is a lot more personal and uh, there's like stuff you could put on a mixtape, probably. And it seems like it's songs for humans, and not necessarily just like weird things about the Civil War or whatever. <laughs> and then the album that follows that, Yoko, which is like a an acronym for "You're Only King Once," is kind of their like a lot of personal turmoil going on in their lives, and it's a real depressing bummer album. But there's some really good stuff on that too. And then going way back to their their first album, the handsome western states it's almost like you mentioned pavement it's kind of like a jangly sloppy pavementy thing but i think okay, like yeah their the melodies are still there like they're clearly writing really great hooks and like songwriting skills are on point and everything but the production is like way scaled back but i think it's also another really great album too like this one has like most highs and lows i think i think the coast is never clear is like really like a really solid, consistently great album, but I think this is a really interesting one, which is why I picked it. Yeah, I mean, I, I pretty much like all the songs on this record for the mm-hmm. most part, and I mean, it, it's yeah, to me, it's just it's very like it typifies a certain kind of like this is what ninety nine ish or something like mm-hmm. that. Yeah, I yeah. mean, it just it 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 has a lot of like hallmarks of a lot of indie rock at that time, and I think yeah. it's, it just they have great songs, they have great hooks, they have great arrangements, and mm-hmm. and um. Yeah, it was really fun. I, you know, I'd sort of forgotten about Beulah, but uh, when I heard it, I was like, "Oh man, this band is really good." I was glad you, uh, yeah, brought it um, back up. Oh, I'm Would- glad you liked it. I, I'm also relieved that you didn't call uh, Miles out for having uh, indie rock accent. I was bracing myself uh, while I was listening to. It. I was like, "Oh boy, I think he's taking a taking a weird uh, pronunciation on this word." I hope Matt doesn't I, I call him know. out on it. I think he has. Yeah, he has a different type of indie rock accent that was more around this time. You know, like kind of the like kind of thing, as opposed to the more kind of like weird. I don't know what British Australian yeah, thing, vocal fry kind of thing or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, no. But that that was that went with the times. You know what I mean? Like absolutely, you, you got to live with that. Matt um, has spared his axe. One time. <laughs> One time. No. 
Uh, Jeff, was there anything else from this album you really wanted to touch on? You sent me more timestamps than we were able to get to, yeah. but we have time. Uh, let's see here. Um, I think one real quick one is uh, the aristocratic swells right around like 110. If, maybe if you go back to like the 32nd mark or whatever, so you get a better sense of what I'm talking about. I think this song is interesting because like the start, in my opinion, is kind of wobbly, but it, at this point, like around the, the 110 mark or so, it kind of like lands it, which is a huge relief. That riff is really, really good, and I did not expect to hear it on mm-hmm. this album. So I was always ambivalent about it up until this point. I'm like, eh. I think the vocals oh, really? on it are kind of grating. Right after this. Maybe I lied about this timestamp. It's coming real close, though. Right here. Yeah, that walk back up. Mm-hmm. That's nice. Yeah. This is like the epitome of that disaffected little snotty voice, which <laughs> totally. Uh, <laughs> I kind of love it, though. Yeah. This sounds like a card, like, an, like if Scooby-Doo was like at a concert, there'd be like a sh- bunch of like long-haired band guys playing on stage <laughs> yeah, so. and that that riff right there, that blank, blank, that just sounds like something that they'd see on the stage. Yeah, yeah. like beatnik at a beatnik <laughs> bar. <laughs> exactly. Kind of rock and roll kind of riff. Yeah. I know after the band broke up, the lead singer, Miles, he had a solo album, I think it was like around 2009, 2010, somewhere in there, that is pretty good, but it just, it didn't hit me the same way that Beulah did, and then just went dark, like, there, he did not have, like, a social media presence beyond, like, promoting his solo album and everything, and then, like, in February, I think, uh, the bass player who's now uh like a record producer was like i just laying down some tracks for miles uh next solo album and then like had a picture of them like recording so hopefully Hmm. we'll hear something soon ish yeah those guys are all because like jeff mangum from neutral milk hotel basically became like a recluse yeah exactly after like he they did you know airplane over the sea and then Mm -hmm. he released this weird like album of like it's like kind of out just recordings of the outdoors and like, I think he went to some other country and just like 
Yeah. Just took like street musicians and stuff and like recorded them. But yeah, those guys are all, it was a weird, weird crew of people. Uh, well, Jeff really enjoyed that Beulah when your heartstrings break. It's a, it's a, uh, it's a good record. And I'm going to, what's the next one that you recommended to? Cause I want to, I want to make sure I check that out. Uh, the coast is never clear. The next the coast album. is never clear. Yeah. All right. Now we're going to move to my pick another nineties album in a kind of very different one um, mm-hmm. by a band called the Afghan wigs. And, uh, they were, man, Afghan wigs were something. They're singer they Greg Dooley. <laughs> Greg Dooley is what they call a, a piece of work. Um, <laughs> so basically they were from Cincinnati. They, I think they kind of basically got their earlier stuff would fit somewhat in grunge. They got signed to sub pop from Cincinnati. One of the first mm-hmm. like kind of non Seattle bands. Um, and then Dooley kind of starts, they did an uh, EP that did some covers of like, uh, Al Green and the Supremes and stuff. And he started kind of developing this kind of weird, like, I don't know, white exploitation, like mm. grunge lover man kind of like film noir kind of thing. And like America's Jarvis Cocker, maybe? Kind of, kind of, yeah. And like, <laughs> you know, so he would, you know, he started wearing like fur coats and stuff like that. Like a friend of mine, uh, was working on a, uh, a video shoot here for them one time. He he was like an old punk rock dude, and he did like a lot of production stuff, you know, like just sound guy stuff. Yeah. And they were all waiting, and like he was trying to tell me and my friend Chris this to make us think that Greg Dooley was an asshole, which he probably is. But he said, yeah. So he, you know, we're sitting there waiting for him. And he like he shows up like four hours late in a limousine and comes <laughs> out with like wearing like wraparound sunglasses, and he has like a pimp cane and a huge bottle of cognac, smoking a cigar. And I'm like. Well, now I love him even more. Like, <laughs> that's exactly how I want him to act. Yeah. But um, so yeah, Dooley, and this is sort of like the apex of their kind of like grandiose, kind of like almost uh, like Isaac Hayes goes grunge kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I wanted, I also was looking up uh, Dooley. Afghan Wigs breaks up, and then he kind of disappears for a couple of years. Comes back with a band called Twilight Singers that are also pretty good. Um, but I found this story, and I mean, Dooley was a huge drug addict for a while. Mm-hmm. And here, so this is, I found from about 10 years ago in the Guardian, I believe. Um, Dooley realized he was out of his depth when he saw a man shot dead in New Orleans last year. I was writing a script about drug dealers in New Orleans and Los Angeles, Dooley explained. So by way of researching the subject, I started to run with a gang of dealers. And at a certain point, the line between observation and participation became dangerously blurred. I found that I quite liked, I liked them quite a bit, although some of the ancillary characters were not so good. All his newfound friends carried guns, as did Dooley. I pulled one a couple of times, but I never used it, Dooley said. But I saw a guy get killed. I did not shed tears over his passing. <laughs> he, he stole money from somebody that my allegiance was clearly with. I'm not proud of it, but the right thing was done. He deserved to die. Oh, my God. <laughs> and the other thing I want to put out with the time frame, when this is happening, he's like 41 years old. Oh, jeez. <laughs> like, <laughs> he's past his prime and... So like oh, this is like Steven Seagal moonlighting as a deputy. I know it's crazy. <laughs> like so, this is basically Dooley. He's like intensely like kind of ridiculous. He he also had that kind of Elvis thing where his weight would sort of fluctuate like depending on what kind of drugs he was doing. Mm-hmm. And there was even a zine called Fat Greg Dooley about Aww. how much people hated him. <laughs> but uh, I did. I saw him on this tour, and at their best, you know, when like everyone was sober and stuff, like they were an amazing live band. And this album is kind of one that like. I like albums that are like sometimes like they try like they're so overblown and somehow it works, at least for mm-hmm. me. And I know I have some friends that like love this album and I, it's kind of a cult record where I, I, I don't know a lot of casual friends of this record because it's definitely the album before this was called Gentleman that it was a little more yes. popular. But 
And that's that's Gentleman's equally a really great record. But Black Love kind of just defined this like insane kind of like film noir grunge soul thing that he had in his his like cocaine addled mind at that mm-hmm. time and uh i'm a big fan so i'm curious jeff i'm assuming you kind of must have known him a bit yeah i i listened to gentlemen and i really like that album a lot i like like i just thinking like like gentlemen obviously was a, a big song for them and i remember really liking what jail is like that song yeah and uh was it be sweet is that another song mm-hmm. on that album yep like just some amazing songs. There was always this kind of, there was like a mystique around them. At least I wasn't familiar with them or following them by the time um, Black Love came out. But it seems like they were a band that, like reading Spin Magazine at the time, that like rock critics really liked for some yeah. reason. Like there was a certain kind of like sinister swagger around him yeah, that, that was kind of irresistible. Like it was as much about him as this like figure as it was him as a, a musician or a singer. Uh, so yeah, it, I, I, it's an interesting thing. Cause I think we, like I talked about it with the Buell album. There was like that one song that like at the beginning is kind of iffy and then it nails it. This entire album is like, not to spoil anything. I find it exhilarating to listen to because you don't know. It's, it's not a question of like, are they going to, screw this up it's more like when is it going to get screwed up and on that front they almost <laughs> never disappoint but like i think greg dooley I, I i'm glad that you also mentioned that he like that it was a great live band because i was listening to him and just thinking like how did this happen you know what i mean like did they have a reputation as being a really solid live act and that's what they got signed on because i can't imagine that it was on the strength of greg dooley's like frontman skills at least just based on like his presence in the studio alone you know what i mean yeah yeah i don't know i mean you know i think they got signed to sub pop at a time when you know being on sub pop had a lot of cachet just Mm -hmm. due to the like sort of grunge explosion and you know all those bands becoming huge so i think i think just the fact that they a major like scooped them up from sub pop there i think at that time they were kind of like oh like we gotta grab this is a grunge band this is a grunge band (laughs) exactly we gotta grab a grab a grunge band and they kind of had enough i think back in those days like there was enough of this like oh we don't really know what's going on with this alternative rock stuff so they probably got a long leash to do mm-hmm. like records they wanted to do um so yeah i don't um we well, should get into it i don't did you have a particular place you want to start or yeah i would honestly l- start with just the the first track crime scene part one i think it's like, a great place to start If I recall, they did. I, I know that they opened with a song and closed with the last song in this album when I saw them on this tour. Mm. So it was definitely structured like that, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I can imagine this being like a phenomenally strong opener. Like, it builds up to this if you haven't heard this before. This isn't it in its entire, like. Yeah, here we go. Oh. They, like, they like the big builds for sure. <clears throat> mm hmm. 
In its own weird way, it's like, I mean, I know what you mean. It's like they're, they they weren't going to be popular, but mm-hmm. like he kind of, I feel like he wants it to be like an arena thing. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like he has like this like ambition, like, you know what I mean? Like just the way these are structured almost in that kind of like big U2 kind of like mm-hmm. anthemic kind of thing. Yeah. Like you could not play this song in the 400 bar. No. I saw him in the main room. Which, yeah. you know, could have been bigger, but it was, yeah. it was sold out. And I know, like, in the past you guys have discussed this, and I agree. You don't want to read too much into, like, lyrics and, and assigning any kind of, like, personal motivation to them. But I will say, like, the Greg Dooley brand is definitely, oh, yeah. he's singing about masculinity a lot. And just kind of, it's this weird cocktail of being kind of a keeper of dark secrets, but you're also is like, super vulnerable. Yes. Like, a, like just like a wounded boy lashing out. It seems like that's a really common theme in a lot of the songs. Yeah, kind of, like, trying to create a sort of, like, badass persona. Yeah. You know, type of thing. Yeah. Yeah, no, this is a this is a good one. Uh, also, later in the song, it has a great Charles Dickens reference too, which I thought was really funny. Oh, really? Yeah, he. It, uh, God, it's coming up. I think it, Jason. Where is it? Like uh, Jason skipped to four thirty. It's kind of the end where they really climax. Yeah, it's uh, 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 as I as I uh, throw the change I chains I forged in life from uh, mm. a Christmas Carol, mm. which is kind of funny. I thought, yeah. you guys have any opinions on naming a song part one and there not being a part two <laughs> no. it seems like that's something you see periodically where you're just like yeah what happened here yeah you never, never know if there was like one that would like turned out not that good and so they just dumped it or something like yeah that. but i could also it almost i don't know too like i could just see him doing it just because it's it seemed more like literary or something like that. exactly 
It's um, like, what's the next step beyond a Roman numeral one? What can I use? Uh, a dagger. What else? What should we uh, go to next? I mean, I, I definitely I know this record well, so you know. Yeah, whatever. I think I think um, this is kind of like a reference. I guess it's probably more effective if you're familiar with the the song "What Jail Is Like." But my enemy, yeah. right around like the two twenty mark, there's like. It, it seems almost like he's plagiarizing himself just with, like, the cadence and the the meter of his, like, singing, if that makes any sense. Yeah, they're definitely similar. So this is building up to something, but I'm wondering, like, when you saw them live, how how was he? I mean, the show I saw was still probably one of the best shows I've ever seen. Yeah? Like, he was absolutely, like, magnetic. You know what I mean? Yeah. And And just, like, the whole band was just hitting. Um, yeah, it was just an amazing show. Like, one yeah. of those shows, I think. I probably love this album more because I saw that show on that tour. Mm. Um, and, you know, they obviously played most of it and everything. But, yeah, they were just fantastic. Do you get a sense, like, I? this may be unfair, like, suddenly you're the representative and biographer for this band, but do you get a sense that this is a band, like, they're working together writing songs, or is this just, like, his project, you do what I say, or do you, do you uh, know how that dynamic works? No, I'm pretty I'm pretty sure uh, who, uh, we should really call out, because he has a ton of amazing parts on this album, but uh, Rick McCollum, mm-hmm. who is the lead guitar player, um, I think he was pretty much sort of an equal footing with Dooley. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Maybe, I don't know, maybe towards the end, you know, bands tend to splinter like that, but yeah, you know, McCollum, I think, and he has amazing, just really catchy and cool, like kind of soaring guitar parts in this album. Yeah. So, I mean, I definitely got the sense that they were sort of like the, you know, Lennon and McCartney, mm-hmm. Plant and Page kind of thing with the band. You know, obviously Dooley was more the personality, but I think Rick McCollum definitely was like a really awesome guitar player. And I think probably, you know, wrote i mean Dooley played guitar a little bit but it was definitely like lead singer guitar you know what i mean yeah kip winger <laughs> not that bad but you know what i mean like he, he does chords you know like you know yeah it wasn't like he was doing fancy stuff but yeah so rick mccollum is really a sweet a sweet guitar player yeah um, I, i'm like what i appreciate about greg Dooley as a singer is that he just seems to go for it and I would say, like, a lot of the things that he's going for are just way beyond his instrument. Yeah. <laughs> but it doesn't seem to affect him at all, and it doesn't seem like he was sticking around after hours asking the producer for another take. No, God. So I wonder what that dynamic was like, because there's some, like, like, on like let's go to uh, Double Day, like around oh, one, is, yeah. 135 or so, which... This is a fun. I love this. This is a funky one too. I like the the drums of bass on this are great. Yeah, but I think this is like this summarizes kind of my like, oh boy, <laughs> about his singing sometimes.
like this main riff so much. Mm-hmm. That drum and bass is so good. Yeah. Yeah, the one thing I, I kind of, I was talking to a friend of mine that's a big fan of this because I was doing this and we were just talking about like, I think Dooley in his own weird way was like the only rock guy that like actually got hip hop in a way. Because mm. like most most people just was like, well, we'll just, you know, like Rage Against the Machine or like, it's like, we'll just be a rap group with like guitars. Yeah. Whereas like Dooley kind of like was like, well, I'm going to be a rock band, but I'm going to be like a, I'm going to invent this like gangster kind of persona and stuff and kind of mm-hmm. like the swagger of hip hop and like kind of telling like crime stories and stuff but yeah like without feeling like i need to have like a dj going you know kind of stuff and it, you know it's kind of ridiculous that this like chubby guy from cincinnati kind of invented himself <laughs> into this thing but it, you know like he pulls it off mostly you know yeah and, I mean, when he does that thing when he says like we he bends the note on when he sings pretend mm-hmm. that's like another like thing that i've picked up on that he does a lot it's just like he's almost Using a whammy bar in his voice. Yeah, I mean, his voice must have just been shredded, but, like, you mm-hmm. know, he was going for it, for sure. And, like, yeah. just, just this yeah. album just has a lot of, like, kind of bad decisions in life mm-hmm. kind of vibe to it. You know what I mean? Yeah, for <laughs> it sure. It sounds like people that are, like, really driving it, you know, into the ditch. Yeah, it seems like a lot of people that they spend more time than they should pleading through a closed window outside of a trailer <laughs> for somebody to open the door. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I love that that lyric. It was a Saturday. I came home early, drunk with love and other things. Yeah. Oh, he's I got, must he's confess, got, I love it all. He's got great one-liners on this too. Oh. Like really, like badass. Just like yes. you know. Yeah. Like on the on my enemy, he's like, "You want the dog? I'll let him out. Come and get some, baby." It's like, mm-hmm. dude, like what? <laughs> like, like what '90s rock band wrote lyrics like that? You know what I mean? This is like yeah. the age of like Eddie Vedder and stuff, you know? And yeah. he's just like so absurd, and I love it. Yeah, that's one of the things that I I really do appreciate about this album is like even stuff that I'm like, boy, I wouldn't, I don't think if I would listen to this particular song for fun. It it's always interesting, you know, like. I think you said, like, a lot of bad decisions. I think there's a lot of bad decisions made with, like, some of the recordings, too. But it's interesting. Yeah, I mean, he's definitely got this vision that he's he's going for it. Whether, you know... Like mm-hmm. I said, I just feel like he had everything except a big audience that wanted it. You know what I mean? Yeah, it seems like... A, like Maybe, he, too, he doesn't have, like, a suite of background singers. So he's just like, I'm going to sing real... <laughs> I'm going to pretend that I'm the background chorus, too. Yeah. Yeah, I think there's some, I mean, it must be somebody else in the band, or maybe it's him just overdubbed on himself, but mm-hmm. sometimes there's kind of a falsetto, like, backing thing. Yeah, um, it kind of reminds me of, like, like going back to Weezer, with like, was it Matt Sharp who would do, like, oh, the falsetto yeah, yeah. counter melody or whatever? Yeah. Yeah. Kind of got that quality, which may not be what they were going for. Yeah, I, I, they don't seem like they'd be real tight bros, mm-hmm. I don't think. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> I think the, um, the step into the light is phenomenal that's like a song that was one of those that was like oh boy this is slow uh how are they gonna screw it up especially coming off that last uh off of double day rather yeah um i i think step into the light is just a standout song it's so good yeah i mean i think you know i mean like like i said Dooley, he he's ridiculous in a way but like i actually think this album can be like super emotional at times Mm -hmm. i think like I really, this album like really, is it really affecting to me? I feel like, you know, it's just kind of his, 
his big gestures and like this is more of a, a, a like a slow jam almost you know what I mean? yeah like a ballad and it, he does he does an amazing job on this. this is a great song yeah i think i like it when he's he just feels defeated in his voice i think it's a really powerful mood for him if that makes any sense yeah Jeff, when you described a, an album of bad decisions, mm-hmm. do you hear any of those on this track, or is this pretty clean? This one seems pretty clean to me. I like, and I think the like the back end of this album is just like solid, as compared to the front end. Yeah, I think the front end has some some serious missteps. Where I think a lot of, I think that honestly, if I was not assigned this at the beginning, I've listened to this like probably 15 times and oh good lord wait just just for this yeah oh my god yeah yeah <laughs> more jason, times than i listen slack- to it jason you don't listen to everything 20 times because i do wow <laughs> jeff are, are you busy on wednesday nights usually jeff or <laughs> <laughs> i'm happy to really be here and i'll be back if you want me oh no he knows George. how to use audacity <laughs> <laughs> the big red button i think <laughs> Yeah. Were you fishing for something, Jason? Do you think that there's something with this particular no, no, song? N- not in particular. I just like I like that tension that this album has mm-hmm. with with respect to like how sloppy and like the bend on his voice on yeah. Double Days is a perfect example of it. It's very controlled. Like mm-hmm. it's not just him letting it go completely out of control, but he knows that it's not something he can do with his human body, so he tries <laughs> it anyway. Uh, and yet, like the production on this record is like this was what three years before. Uh, the um, the Bueller record we, we discussed. Mm-hmm. Yep. So, like, I don't know, just different sensibilities in production, I think, really complement in the same way that the others did, where it was very sort of, like, lush, but you could recognize that it was empty in terms of instrumentation. Mm-hmm. And this being very, like, almost spatial in a way, but yeah. with his voice always cutting through it. It's just, like, the producers knew what they were doing. I don't know what step or what uh, place Dooley had in, in, that, in the production of this record, but it I, I think they were in step mm-hmm. most of the time. Yeah, yeah I, it's a great sounding. It was a well produced record for like mm-hmm. just a big rock record. And mm-hmm. um, I, at the time too, they were doing like he was definitely like like this kind of like almost soul balladeer kind of thing. Because mm-hmm. when I saw him live, they did he used to do. Well, they were covering "Creep" by TLC like at the time it was popular. Hmm. Which is really a weird thing because you know usually covers are like older songs. Yeah, and then they, there's a EP that kind of came out in around the same time called Bonnie and Clyde EP and it, it they did creep I think it had maybe a song from this album and then they all he also did uh, this like really like slow burn uh, kind of soul version of if I only had a heart mm. uh, like the song that the tin man sings from Wizard of Oz yeah which was actually worked out really well surprisingly um, I have one that I wanted to really get because I love the instrumentation on this and I think this is like mm. his most like 
Well, number one, it's called this is Blame Etc., which is a really good one. But this has like I think the most kind of seventies soul thing. It has the clavinet, which you kind of just hear is like mm-hmm. Stevie Wonder superstition. It has those kind of dramatic like strings, like Shaft, Isaac Hayes kind of stuff. And I just think this one I think melds his, the kind of like whatever post grunge stuff and and like his kind of soul ambitions maybe the most successfully on this record. Wow. <laughs> yep. That's- like, you could have not done that, but you could, you could just fucking do it. You know what I mean? Yeah. That's what I like. But I love that clavinet, that like mm-hmm. Stevie Wonder. This is definitely the freshest song on this record, by far. Yeah. I think they played this on uh, David Letterman. You can see, like, a performance of this. Oh, wow. Really? And that's why I was whole, like, like, I want to see what kind of frontman Greg uh, is, and... He seemed completely out of it. But I guess it's just no. the, maybe... Don't they tape those shows at like 2 in the afternoon? Yeah, that could be it. I don't think that was a real good time for... You know what I mean? Yeah. Time of day for him, probably. Yeah. <laughs> it's like breakfast. It's weird because Matt, you keep you keep dropping references to I'm assuming the uh, like soul and R and B music that would have influenced a lot of what Greg Dooley does in a weird way. You were you compared it to like uh, him to being like a hip hop uh, style rocker, yeah, and obviously like Shaft and and such. Just like that smokiness in his voice complements, I think, this track in a really really interesting fun way where it's not like out of his range or anything, but it doesn't feel like a weird white guy trying to sing like soul music. No, no, I don't think he ever like you know. Yeah, I don't. I don't think mm-hmm. it ever comes off as like he's trying to ape something, you know. But he definitely right. And I mean, you know, just at, the, at that time, like it was just sort of an interesting thing for a band like this to do because you know, like you know, just not a lot of bands were really mining that territory at that time, especially mm-hmm. like in the kind of post grunge alternative rock years or whatever, and. It kind of made them... I think it distinguished them from a lot of bands. Ah, uh, no. I think I hear, like, bongo drums or djembe or something in the back, too, which is mm. really helping with that vibe. Yeah, I think at this point they'd added one guy for touring. Because mm. I remember when I saw him, that guy's band opened for them. They were called Howling Maggie. They weren't good. <laughs> His name was Harold <laughs> Chinchester or something like that. But anyway, so he was doing some like that clavinet live for them and, and some of the more instrumentation stuff that was on this record. Mm-hmm. Uh, we kind of got into who Jeff was when he first heard the Bueller record. Um, did we know who Matt was when mm. he first heard this uh, album? Matt? I mean, I guess, I, yeah, I mean, you know, I was in college or, yeah, and just probably, I don't know, partying. <laughs> Very cool. Yeah. Yeah, Very, you gotta no. you gotta make us all feel jealous. No, I mean, I, I actually do remember my friend Chris was like working overnights at the Best Buy warehouse, 
and he was like super into this record too and he was like in just this really bad zone of life like working the overnight shift and so then sometimes I would go to his house like if I had the day off or whatever and I would like hang out with him and like drink beer like in the morning before mm. he went to bed and like listen to this record living the uh, Greg Dooley life yeah I guess yeah <laughs> alright Jeff I, I think Night by Candlelight I like that one also it's one. another slowish jam it, it kind of reminds me and you could call me insane. It reminds me of like a like Dave Lowry, you know, cracker slash camper van Beethoven oh, wow. kind of quality to his voice until he like starts bending his notes in the in the huh. chorus and everything. But that never would have occurred to me. But yeah, let's listen to that cracker. Wow. The strings on this part are mm-hmm. so cool. Yeah. Does he... Sorry, as... I'm assuming Dooley is the lead songwriter. Did he also, like, arrange these strings? I'm not sure. I think that Rick McCollum guy I mentioned was... Mm. Uh, mm. I think did a lot in terms of arrangements, from what I understand. Um, and I'm not sure... I don't know. I mean, I feel like... I should look it up, but... Sometimes I feel like you almost have to bring somebody in, you know, to do like genuine string arrangements. Mm-hmm. That's kind of a, you know, like a skill, <laughs> right? <laughs> like right. to do charts and stuff. And I, I mean, I, I perhaps, you know, Dooley and those guys can do that, but I, you know, sometimes I wonder if you kind of need to bring in somebody that knows how to like, you know, write a score, or, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah, I really like that song. I've got a couple more timestamps from you, Jeff. Yeah, I think Summer's Kiss is really Ooh. solid, too. Yeah, this is a epic. Yeah. I just really love that part where, like, a melody starts to form out of those discordant Mm -hmm. things. Yeah, well, this one hits, too. It's so good. Mm -hmm. This I would love to have seen this live. Oh, man, you gotta think. Yeah, the big, when it kicks in here, is, like, Mm -hmm. really nice. Yeah, that's why I just love that kind of, like, just that epic, just, like... yeah feel it in your chest kind of like big chord mm-hmm. change stuff which just is just three like, chords yeah, yeah. They it's almost like the, the like house the lights on for a split second you realize how mm-hmm. like ugly and sweaty everyone is but it's great <laughs> yeah and just like it almost has that like in a baba o'reilly by the who kind mm-hmm. of Ooh, energy yeah. like that just yeah right ah It is way more classic rock now that I think about it as a Bob O'Reilly type. Like the power chords, the, the like fills on the drums. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Like big. And his vocals here are just so good too. I think mm-hmm. this is like the real slow jams. I think he's super strong and just like this like bellowing, yelling kind of tone is, is really uh, 
nice to listen to. I'm going to have to listen through this a few more times with your uh, back half is much better than the first half. Mm-hmm. Or solid, we'll say. I'll quote you. Uh, <laughs> because, like, in listening to it, I was trying to hear it as one big whole thing. Mm. And I never thought to, like, parse it into, hey, what did I like about these pieces rather yeah. than, like, the overall? And I think it benefits from that if you, like, segment it a little bit. Mm-hmm. That's another great line. He has so yeah, many good lines. So silly. Just kind of like, you know, just like, yeah, totally like film noir kind of vibes. Uh-huh. Just like. What's the song where he says he's going to take you to the moon? Oh, shit. I can't remember. <laughs> <laughs> I love this song so much. Yeah. It's like nice and sad too. Yeah, yeah. This is definitely good when you're in your 20s and just like, you know, Mm -hmm. being sad about shit. Yeah. Probably wasn't that big of a deal at the end of the day. I would really be interested. Is is Greg still recording stuff or writing things? You know, they actually did. um, did, They've done a couple reunion records. And Mm -hmm. uh, the last one was like. I was kind of surprised. It was like really good. I was really surprised. I just, I heard they were coming back and I just, uh-huh. not that I was like curious, but some bands you just feel like, boy, I don't know. Can you really mm-hmm. get back to that space? You know? Yeah. And I have to say like, um, I thought the first one, uh, I can't remember what the title was, um, but they've done two. And also, um, the Twilight Singers project that he did was actually really cool. He went even kind of more into um, the kind of R&B stuff and, and mm-hmm. almost... Uh, the It was an album in 2017 called In Spades. Uh, okay. It was actually really good. And there was one, Do the Beast, as well. But the Twilight Singers stuff is interesting. It's It's got a little more like electronics even and mm-hmm. stuff in it. So, um, But definitely worth checking out. Yeah. Well, you mentioned that he was 41 when he was pulling guns on people and not shedding tears for people who were getting murdered. So I wonder, like, would it have helped? But I wonder, like, as a songwriter, if age and, like, a little more perspective would really benefit him. You know what I mean? Rather, yeah. Just kind of like if he's just like, you know what, enough with this tough guy posturing. Let's just get to the, like, the sad stuff and, like, the vulnerability. Because I think that's those songs of his, where he's coming from that place, I think really resonate with me more so than just like get over here i'm putting a gun in your face what do you oh, think yeah, of like, that like honky's ladder i do like honky's ladder though yeah that one was like i would say summer's kiss like just looking at the song titles i was like summer's kiss is gonna be a good song honky's ladder could really go either way oh man I, <laughs> yeah we should play honky's ladder just because, yeah like, I've, like this is the apex of like his kind of like tough guy yes kind of swagger stuff and it's like this song is so like I listen to it, and I'm like, I can't believe like somebody made this song, but like it mm-hmm. actually kind of works. And just the title, Honky's Ladder, is just like, yeah, like turning that into a major label. Like this is, and this was the single too. Was they, it really? They insisted this <laughs> was the single, and I'm sure the label was probably like, well, really, because we could do other songs. We could do literally anything else. <laughs> but I, dude, I love this song though. We gotta play. It. I love it. I, I I love this song. Do we play it from the start? Yeah. Awesome.
Guitar parts are really cool. That kind of slide guitar stuff mm-hmm. he does on this record. Actually, speaking of "Built to Spill" once again, like some of those he, parts actually, yeah, that, that little part totally reminds me of "Built to Spill." Yeah, just kind of like it's not droning; it's just kind of swooping around. Yeah, right there. a solid line yeah this is like um also for like perspective uh you know dates mm-hmm. a lot of red flags on this album <laughs> exactly this is like a big red flag album for dating this guy yeah <laughs> And then when he tells you, yeah, and also this song's called Honky's Ladder. Yeah. <laughs> that yeah. should be the nail in the coffin. Yeah. <laughs> you know what? I'll just leave my coat behind. I've got to go now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, I'm trying to think what else. Any, uh, did you have any other timestamps, Jeff, you want to get into? Real quick, I just something that, like, this song, and then I think we, we should probably hear the last song, Faded. Yeah. But I think both of them have something in common, Honky's Ladder, and that, like, a really long fade out. I'm just wondering what you guys think of that. Oh, like a, a like a like, literal fade. Like songs that like, like the exact opposite of like maybe, for instance, like uh, Emma Blogan's Last Stand or or uh, uh, Crime Scene Part One, where it's a big build up, you know. But it's like just a slow fade mm-hmm. out of a song. What do you, does that do anything for you guys usually? In most cases, no. In most cases, you know, I skip if it's like more than a, like a 10 second fade out. Mm-hmm. But honestly, at the end of a record, yeah. I think it fits. It's yeah. like, okay, we're going to put you to, put you to bed. Yeah. Good night. Little kiss on your forehead and just <laughs> yeah. drift into dream. I mean, it did. And then, you know, it starts again. It depends. I mean, it faded. I think it works just because, I mean, faded to me is just like, like I said, it was the last song when I saw him and it just, mm-hmm. it feels like the set closer kind of a vibe, yeah. you know, where like, and I'm sure, you know, live, they probably did more like solos and stuff towards the end, you know, like. Bands usually do when they play stuff like that live. So I, it, I mean, I think it works for this, but you know, yeah. like, it's probably something to be used uh, judiciously. Uh, yeah, in most cases, I, I would just have so much more patience for like a song where you're anticipating that something cool is going to happen, versus knowing that like, oh, the cool thing already happened. They're just walking. They're walking <laughs> they're slowly away the- with the garbage bag full of the wrapping paper. <laughs> Like, oh, okay. Just waiting for the cool thing to to lose its cool <laughs> yeah, for a second. Exactly. I like like for instance, there's a, a Mountain Goats song on Beat the Champ called "Heel Turn" that is like one of my favorite songs on that album. But then the end of oh, it yeah. is like what a minute and a half long of just kind of like tinkling piano, and it's just like <laughs> you had me, and then mm. yeah. 
That's a, that's, you know, I, that's one of my favorite Mountain Goats records, though. It is I so like good. The wrestling, the whole wrestling shtick, like mm-hmm. not, not shtick, the whole wrestling conceit, let's say, yes. of the mm-hmm. album is really, and it, it like it sounds like it should be gimmicky, but then it, it doesn't really end up being gimmicky, which I is is cool. Yeah, yeah, I one hundred percent. So were we going to listen to Faded, or was there another one you had to? Uh, no, I think Faded for yeah, sure. Yeah, let's do Faded. Yeah, what was the time? I mean, this one is a big build. It's a big one. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't realize this like starts exactly like the first song starts basically. Mm-hmm. It was like that kind of organ drone thing. Yeah. Yeah, once it started I looked at it, it was like, oh, eight plus minutes, uh oh. Oops. <laughs> but this is such like a melodramatic chord progression and like the delivery on the piano. Mm-hmm. It sounds like it sounds like the beginning of like one of those Prince B-sides that probably wasn't actually good, but people cherish now. I know you, um, you've been monitoring your condition for becoming a jam band guy. Yeah. Uh, it's probably already happened. Does this? <laughs> no, these does guys aren't a jam band. I mean, I don't, okay. not, no. They, they get kind of in those segments. Yeah, I know. A little you, bit jam. I know what you mean. I know what you mean. I just think yeah. they're so like resolutely like almost like anti-hippie mm. in their whole vibe. You know what okay. I mean? Like it's just such a street kind of. You know what I mean? Like nihilistic kind of vibe. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Something I want to do, but I did not do is I noticed that when I was, uh, when I downloaded this album, there was also an option for like, like a 20th anniversary version of it that had a bunch of like click tracks and like demos and stuff. And I just like, I wanted to hear the actual album before I kind of, dove in that deep i think i'm gonna go back and and hear some of the other ones i'm just curious to hear like yeah it's i i I saw that disc it's it's like it's some interesting stuff i don't think it's any like super big revelations but it's interesting what do you think you might hear if you went back to like unfinished or alternative or demo versions of these songs jeff i i'm genuinely curious to hear like what a raw version of Greg Dooley's voice sounds like. If it's if some of this is kind of like an affectation or a put on, or if this is just like, yeah, this is how I sing, baby. Yeah, I mean, I guess I feel like it's you know in line with the earlier stuff. I mean, I think he got mm-hmm. to be a little bit better of a singer because I think he he, he kind of wanted to. Mm-hmm. Take it a little bit out of the kind of like you know just straight up like grunge kind of something know. that just hit me right now too. I'll have to go back and listen to Gentleman. It seems like he did a lot more like speak singing 
than he does here. It seems like here he's singing. Yeah. Singing. You know what I mean? Like, he was just kind of, like, on the verge of, like, almost like a Craig Finn, where you're like, what are we doing here? Are you just kind of, like, got some patter going on telling a story, or is this... Yeah, no, totally. I mean, I think he's hit... I mean, I think he put a lot of work into singing, probably. I mean, he's still... He's got kind of a raw voice, but, Mm -hmm. I mean... It's this album has amazing vocal performances, and I think like melodies are really good. Mm-hmm. This song too, I wonder like, how, could you do a second take of this? Like his voice must have just been shredded, right? And like realistically, like how many, how much studio time does a band of this stature? have at the time you know what i mean like do they have hours to spare to kind of tinker and make every make sure everything's uh, okay or is this just like look no, guys i think they they lived in this little bubble you know what i mean that existed for a very short period of time after like nirvana got big uh, and pearl yeah. jam got big where it's like and you know and like whatever smashing pumpkins or mm-hmm. Soundgarden, where it's like these bands that were underground bands like all of a sudden were doing like 10 15 million copies of stuff so they were like yeah, these guys are like the next fucking Pearl Jam. Like, you know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. do what you want, guys. You know, it's your vision kind of thing. Yeah. You know? And then, you know, as a vast majority of them don't, you know, turn out to be that. I'm sure. I, there's like, there's no way this record made money. Mm-hmm. Like, this just sounds like such an expensive record to do. Yeah. Like, with all the strings and, you know. I love that little. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I like this guitar okay. solo a lot. Mm-hmm. This again is this is like kind of very kind of it's almost like this soul version like built to spill kind of you know. Yeah. Yeah, I think bring there, it there, home. there's a lot of stuff I really like on this album. I wonder how much more it would have resonated with me if, if I listened to it when I was younger and 
I considered myself messed up, and yeah, my yeah, problems yeah. were real capital P problems. Like, you know, <laughs> Jeff, bingo, bingo, bingo. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> I think you'd like it a lot more. You'd, then you'd like it as much as me. Yeah, and don't get me wrong. Like I said, yeah, yeah. There, there's some really good stuff on this album, but I think a lot of it too is just like look, listening to it with an old man's ears, where you're just like, "Oh, you sweet summer child." <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I mean, but there's a certain thing where I think things, you know, in high school or your 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 young twenties can just hit you in a certain mm-hmm. type of way that you know, just by the nature of. I don't know, Jason, you're closer to that time than we are, but, you know, does that, do you feel like you still process stuff as much or, you know, as you did, like, say, when you were, like, 18 or something or 19 or 20? Oh, no, I think my attention span and my emotional attention span are, like, that of a flea these (laughs) days, Uh, I think. But I think it's a different world to have grown up in, Mm -hmm. not to, like, proselytize too much, but. You know, it's a slightly different world to have grown up in information age and all that really hitting at the same time. A lot of this album does resonate. I know, uh, Jeff, you were brought up like some of the first tracks he starts singing about masculinity and like, uh, am I evil to you or whatever that one lyric is. Uh, some of that resonates with me, but like in a way that I think, am I, am I old on the inside? Mm. Do I think I'm an <laughs> evil person and I'm like 27 years old? Do, do I have the capacity to be e- evil? Uh, yet? I don't think you do, Jason. <laughs> uh, honestly, I'm not worried about you at Thanks. all. <laughs> okay, well, you can hold a place for me in heaven then. Thank oh, you. Uh-huh. Very sweet. We'll, we'll we'll keep the door. We'll keep the light on for you. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, yeah. So I mean, that basically. I mean, I think we covered most of the stuff. Um, like I said, you know, it, it's just one of those records. It just stuck with me for some reason, and I don't. Mm-hmm. I can't even fully. I don't know if I can fully articulate it, which is a problem when you have a podcast about music, <laughs> uh, because that's kind of <laughs> like your job. But yeah. um, I, I don't know if I quite can. Um, but yeah, I was, I was, I was kind of wondering if you knew it or not. I figured you kind of like vaguely like knew the Afghan wigs because mm-hmm. this was definitely like the element I think that was like supposed to make them because like gentlemen did pretty well. Yeah. And this was supposed to take them to the next level and it kind of, I think took them to not the next level. <laughs> Interesting. So yeah. like you kind of like talked about where you, what you think of it and everything. When was the last time you like before like cramming for the podcast, when was the last time you'd listened to this album front to back? You know, it is actually one of those, like, maybe once a year I'll think of it. Interesting. And I'm just such in the mood, like, oh, I should listen to Black Love. And yeah. And I'll listen to it. I'll be like, I love this record. I love this all the time. It's just as good as it was. And then yeah. I just, you know, then I just get, like, and, and to Jason's point, I mean, it, I don't know, like, I, I, we've talked about this on the show before, too, but, like, the nature of just Spotify or Apple mm-hmm. Music or whatever it is you're using, I mean, it's like, you know, it is hard to, like, maybe get albums that you listen to over and over anymore just because you kind of flit around and like, yeah, you know, like when you bought a CD, it was kind of like, well, you had a limited budget. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. You're going to like put some work into this. Yeah. To like it. You know what I mean? And I don't know if that really happens anymore. So mm-hmm. I don't know if I, I don't know if I could be as obsessed with it, you know, as, as in any album really, but I'm just thinking of like the last time that that's happened to me. And I'm, I, I'm curious to hear what, like if you guys have like experiences similar, but like, the last band that I got into just was like lightning struck. And it was like, this is for you, Jeff was like, I was in the car with my wife. She ran into the liquor store and just on the current, the radio station here, they, they played a heretic pride by mountain goats. And it was like when that album first came out and I'd never heard them, I'd heard of them. And it was just like, I have to, I don't know who this is. This is the most amazing song I've, I've heard in a long time. And I just, 
sat in the driveway so and hoping that the <laughs> the radio person would say who had just performed, which thankfully she did, and then I was able to look him up. It was just like fell in love. Have, yeah. Does that happen to you guys anymore? Where you're just like, it's not just a single, but you just take a deep dive on an artist and just find yourself like really loving a lot of their work. Um, I I certainly did. There was an artist that came across my uh, well, incidentally, my Spotify feed a couple weeks back called Rebel Bucket. Mm-hmm. They're like a, a northeastern like indie art pop band. They've been around for I don't know a couple decades, uh, and like one of their songs caught my ear i guess one of their hottest singles and then i just like did a whole dive on their albums and i don't think i listened to a song that i outright didn't like it was really i mean those those happen so infrequently Mm -hmm. these days as i'm sure you've noticed like everything just flits right by your ears because you assume there's so much more like it and this was one band that just stuck and stuck until i was like listening to nothing but them for like two it's one of the best feelings i i it was great love it yeah i'm trying to think oh i yeah I do have one band that I got super into. Oh, the name is so bad. I think I've mentioned it. But they're called Tropical Fuckstorm. It's, it's called Fish? With no. A <laughs> no, it's it's a band from Australia called Tropical Fuckstorm. Okay. Uh, and like the All guys, right. they used to, well, two of the members, the, the the woman and the man used to be in a band. They were the drones. And then the, they kind of broke up and had a like uh, lineup change and then became Tropical Fuckstorm. So I, it was a lot nicer when they were called the drones. It, just, it was like I could like say it to another adult and not be kind yeah. of like, uh, tropical fuckstorm. But they're actually really smart. The guy's a brilliant lyricist, and it's kind of this like noisy kind of like not pop, but it, it, it's mm. kind of singer songwriter, but kind of noisy. It's a the guy's a singer, and there's three women in the band. Um, but yeah, I went actually got really into them. I even drove to Chicago to see them with a friend of mine because like I don't know a lot of bands from overseas like that. They just never come to Minneapolis. Mm-hmm. That they went, to, you know, they always hit like Chicago, New York. So that was one. Um, their first album, especially, is called "A Laughing Death in Meat Space," and um, <laughs> it's a, it's a, it's a really good record. So Tropical Fuckstorm, everybody, check them yeah. out. I'll look for them in cyberspace. Do yeah, <laughs> get them from da- LimeWire. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> is LimeWire still up? I wonder. That's it's probably a really like, good still question. Just, like, but there's like this weird ass like community of like. Remember when there was those dudes that like. They still play like EverQuest One, mm-hmm. like today. Yeah, I bet there's it's like you know five thousand people on LimeWire that are just like trading like ra- <laughs> uh, Radiohead yeah. obscurities and stuff. <laughs> yeah, bad bad sign when you Google LimeWire. Wikipedia's entry says LimeWire was a free peer to peer file sharing client. Oh, mm. I'm sorry. How many people downloaded that? I think you mentioned that Dynamite Hack Boys in the Hood song that was mislabeled on LimeWire's. Uh, Weird Al, to the point where I think he had to issue a statement saying, I did not record a cover of Boys in the Hood. <laughs> <laughs> and then there was, do you guys remember the the weird, like, uh, Radiohead Legend of Bilbo Baggins thing? <laughs> what? This was, I think I remember so hearing this. Leonard Nimoy, I think it was to accompany some, like, animated thing of the Lord yes. of the Rings in the 60s, did this song called the, the, it was Leonard yeah. Nimoy from Star Trek. And for some reason, they got uploaded to LimeWare and, and like, Kazaa or whatever, all that crap, you know. Mm-hmm. And it was mislabeled as a Radiohead song. <laughs> so it was, like, it was <laughs> no. like this endless punchline where people were like, what? Radiohead? Bilbo Baggins? What the? what the fuck is this? It's like, you know, it was always like, it was like rare unreleased from like the bands or something. You know what I mean? And then, it, then the joke, you got like totally Rick rolled. And it was like this, like Leonard Nimoy singing this song. About Hobbits. It was like, I just, I don't know. That was like an early downloading thing. I remember. Yeah. That, 
that same thing happened with a system of a down somebody uploaded a song called system of a down the legend of zelda and it's like a legend of zelda themed metal song by a completely different band but just like one error in somebody uploading it and it got really popular and still to this day if you google system of a down legend of zelda you can hear this song and it's recorded everywhere as system of a down oh jeez, <laughs> shit that would never happen today. yeah oh <laughs> uh, those are good that's that was heady times back then of downloading downloading 128k mp3s at horrible quality or 90 yep. 98 mm. um wow we just got off track huh Anyway, wow, we're, it's Afghan like we're Wigs, Bula, like we're just hanging out. We're just hanging out at Game Informer right now. Just a couple of cool guys hanging yeah, out. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, it's 2014 again. Yeah, no doubt, man. Bring it back. Uh, should we do, want to do community questions? I'd love to. I sure do. Uh, well, I should explain that this show is standalone and completely free, but we do exist because of your support listeners. Uh, by supporting MinMax on Patreon at patreon.com slash MinMax with two N's. You get to ask us questions, uh, you get to send songs our way, and not to mention whole other shows like uh, The Deepest Dive, The Minmax Show, Anna Diaz is Refreshed, and of course, Better Quest from our own Jeff Court mm-hmm. uh, and Ben Hansen. Uh, and you get a whole lot of other stuff. You get to chat with, with us in the Discord. Uh, a- a- any amount, uh, you, get to, you get to join us in so many different ways. Um, and if you're unable to or not really interested, uh, please go ahead and leave us a review on iTunes and uh, leave us a rating. It really helps us get the word out and share our show and the things we love to talk about a little bit more. Uh, so I'm going to read a few listener questions once I scroll to that section of my Google Doc. I really got to organize this thing better. <laughs> it's a whole template and I've really built in the failure. <laughs> uh, Tim Laro asks, do you think you can enjoy music that's in a language you can't speak in the same way that you enjoy English language tunes and why or why not? Jeff? I honestly, I was like, my goal when I was appearing on this show, I was like, I'm going to go this entire time without thinking about or talking about video games. I would consider that to be like success. And then this question pops up. And if I say no, that's no fun. And it's also (laughs) inaccurate because the Katamari Damacy soundtrack, one of my all time faves, I have no idea what any of those songs are about. And well, Jeff, it, they're saying la, 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 la. Oh. Katamari Damacy. I hope that... Does that help? Okay, you've just opened a lot of doors for me. This is really good. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> yeah, seriously, though. I like I My impulsive response would be, oh, of course not. I have to know what they're singing about. But then I realized, like, oh, I, uh, I didn't care about most of what was being sung <laughs> in the Beulah album I brought up today. <laughs> And then also, like, yeah, the Canterbury Domacy soundtrack. So I think ultimately uh-huh. it doesn't matter. Yeah, I think okay. I've, I've gotten more into, you know, I don't know, world music, for lack of a better term. I used to go to the library sometimes, and the library always has, like, they used to have a lot of cool stuff in, like, the world music section of their CDs that I've just never heard of. So mm-hmm. sometimes I would just, like, check them out and then rip them to my computer and return them. Was this woman named uh, uh, Fato, Fatomara Diawara? I believe, and I just picked it up at random, and I just she's a Malian singer songwriter that lives in France, um, and I just got really into that record. And it was like I think the first, yeah, kind of first like real vocal forward kind of foreign or, or, or world music thing that I I really got into when I couldn't understand the lyrics. And that her album her album's just called Fato F A T O U, uh, but that's mm. a really good record. And that kind of then I have I've listened to in in recent years a lot of like a lot more African music. There's some kind of cool African you know desert blues stuff and um, some cool bands uh, 
like Madhu Maktar, um, Tanarawin. Um, so yeah, I, I, I've, that was something I don't think like 20 years ago I could have done it all. And that kind of, I think I've gotten less lyric focused maybe Mm -hmm. the older I've gotten. Yeah, I've always been consistently surprised, Matt, by your ability to, like, when we were working in the same place, you would always be like, hey, listen to this, like, Sudanese thrash funk band. They're, like, 10 years old, and they know how to shred. And I'd be like, where the hell does he find this stuff? Yeah, there's a, I mean, there's some really cool, like, honestly, this guy, Madhu Mokhtar, is probably the best show I've seen in 10 years. He's kind of, like, he's this young kid, and he wears, like, the full, like, uh, kind of, you know, desert like headdress kind of thing and he mm-hmm. just shreds like hendrix over this like fast african stuff and it's like so amazing yeah. so good did he didn't he play at the cedar one? yeah that's where i saw him nice nice if there ever are uh, like concerts ever again and he comes back because i think he will come back because like he loved it i mean they're from africa so like coming to the west bank they were just like this is like the best place to tour in the u.s because mm-hmm. they could get you know like halal food and you know yeah yeah all that stuff. So he he was loving it, and he's a big Prince fan. He made us do a moment of silence for Prince at the beginning of the show. Respect. Uh, I think my tolerance for anime <laughs> uh, really allowed me to appreciate music that's not in my language. That combined with the fact that my dad is from Greece and listened to Greek and Italian music all of my childhood. Hmm. Uh, so I don't know if it's like the same way that I appreciate or connect with music that's in English, but like emotion is emotion, and a lot of Western uh, songwriting styles have sort of, I won't say infected, but like spread to other parts of the world. So you can recognize what a song is going for emotionally, even if you can't lyrically. Mm-hmm. And I find that that like unites how I approach music in different languages. So, uh, but a great question. I like that one. Um, Dan Willie, who suggested our uh, winning song of last week by the band Charmer, um, asks, how do you all feel about written album reviews? Do you ever read them? Do you find that they influence your uh, listening decisions or... He says that personally, uh, he finds that he reads them in, uh, excuse me, less often in terms of purchasing decisions in the way that uh, he often reads games or movie reviews uh, and more as a form of entertainment in and of itself. So hmm. what's, you guys, what's you guys outlook on written on, on the pitchforks, on the rolling stones of the world? I think, but for me, I will look up a review after I'm familiar with an album just to hear what other people think of it mm-hmm. after I've formulated my own opinion because I just like... One of the things I'm really excited about being on this podcast, I have to say, and just listening to this podcast is, like, as I get older and you know, my, my circle of friends kind of shrinks just because of location and everything, like, I don't have as many opportunities to talk about music who are super with people who are super passionate about it, which is delightful. It's, it's so much fun just to talk about that with people who are listening deeply to something. So it's kind of a way to get that same experience kind of by proxy. So yeah. I'll read, like, a a pitchfork review of something that I really like just to see like what a contrarian opinion on it would be. And, uh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I still go to, I go like pitchfork and sometimes rolling stone and you know, every once in a while, I mean, sometimes if something gets like an, uh, something I haven't heard of gets like a, a unusually like high score. Mm-hmm. Like sometimes they do that best new music thing. I might check it out. And I think that's actually how I found out about big thief, which is a band that I ended up liking a lot was on a review. So, Every once in a while, I'll, I'll just for some reason click on something I don't know, and it's you know compel like the review is, you know, compelling enough to make me want to check it out. Or the other thing too, I I do like you know to read like I don't know if there's like a big box set reissue of like Neil Young or something. I kind of like to read those just because like the kind of history lesson aspect of a a review of like an older thing that's been reissued. I kind of like mm-hmm. that. So 
I, st- I mean, I find them, I find them useful too. But I, I know what you mean, Jeff. Too sometimes it's interesting to like read something that you're already like you've already totally made your mind up, mm-hmm. just to see what somebody else how it, it struck them. Yeah, yeah. I think generally you have two ways of consuming music criticism these days: either like an audible visual format or written. And I think it's really easy when you're listening or watching, uh, listening to or watching a review. It's really easy to get caught up in the presentation and just the flow of it because it's like so many people do it so dang well. And lose sight of the content or what they're actually saying or not saying. Mm-hmm. So I think that like reading a written review, maybe I just have an old soul for like the written word, but it gives me like a chance to really parse what they're saying and go over it a few times. I might have like mild dyslexia as well, but the opportunity to like read it again and again and just absorb what they're saying rather mm-hmm. than like be impressed by how well they're saying it. Uh, I think they're pretty essential for me to understand what I'm listening to, but I do I have that sort of confirmation bias type thing yeah. where, again, if I like the album or if I listen to it already or if it's an artist that I like, I will go to a source to read what they think about it, not to like be angry or to be pleased, mm-hmm. but just to know how other people who know how to speak about it better than I do think about it. Yeah. And if you think about it, like a written music review is fundamentally a cuckoo bonkers concept. Like it doesn't make yeah. any <laughs> damn sense. It's like, like describing art, but without an accompanying picture where you're just like, yeah, the brass is really solid on this yeah i mean i guess i'm not writing a music review but (laughs) yeah i mean it is different than you know like say a game review right Mm -hmm. because a game there still is not the games can't be you know experimental or do different things but there's a fundamental thing where like a game's got to work yeah on Mm -hmm. a fundamental level like the controls have to work right the menu system or inventory system is needs to be well designed you know what i mean so those mm-hmm. i feel like there's music everything is pretty much up for grabs right you know like mm-hmm. you can't mm-hmm. really say there's a right or wrong way to do anything because certain bands you know do you know like i don't know like is metallica better than willie nelson you right. know what i mean like <laughs> I, like is that a, you know is that a relevant comparison you know what i mean well that's what this show is supposed yeah, to answer we'll, actually, we should do we'll, we'll bring metallica back we and i <laughs> Bad content incoming, but how about for every album that is that gets reviewed, the reviewer has to write a musical album about how they feel about the album that they review. Oh wow! <laughs> Whoa! Just a singer songwriter, yeah, right. No, they have to compare. They have to. I I, I don't know. <sighs> I don't know. It'd be fun. I can't. I, I can't know. do it. It's a little bit of a hot take. No, you can't, can't do it again. Do it. <laughs> <laughs> oh god. Okay. Um. So Ben from MinMax uh, wants to know, in Foreigner's Urgent, they want to bang so bad that they repeatedly call it an quote-unquote emergency. Mm-hmm. What do you think of that? And we can listen if you need backup, but I'll, I'll <laughs> You know what? I'd love ask. to hear Urgent. I know it, but you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, like, why deprive ourselves? Yeah, this is an emergency. It's literally it's an emergency. <laughs> it's urgent. Oh, that's cool. I like that. What a farty bass. <laughs> you get around, you wanna fly. Don't want your feet on the ground to stay up. You won't come down. You wanna live. You wanna move to the sound of fire. Is this like a great song? Kind of is. Mm-hmm. 
，而且哇哇哇哇哇，嗯哼 ，It's very horny. Yeah. <笑>哦、oh, ，booty call. <laughs> yeah, we need to clarify the conceit of this question. She's calling him at first, saying、yeah. it's urgent, and then it switches over the next verse. I believe it's like he's showing her how urgent it is、oh, for him as well. So like, it's like a shared urgency. It's like it's like a, a you know Faulkner esque, like different perspectives <laughs> on the same,、yeah, exactly. same story. Yeah, this is this is very complicated. Yeah. <laughs> also, you know, well, let's take a little foreigner detour. But、mm-hmm. this is actually to only like the second horniest foreigner song. Oh yeah, what? Jason, Wait, you got to play Hot Blooded. We got to hear Hot Blooded. Yes, because、oh, if you think this is horny, whew, yeah, watch out. I like I like this little foreigner、uh, sidetrack. Let's do it.、Mm-hmm. These guys like. Walking around in sweatpants, everywhere they look, they saw like a pretty lady with an apple in her mouth. <laughs> <laughs> do we do we hard cut? Yeah, just yeah. Why not? Yeah, why not? All, All right, right, here we go. Hot blooded. Here we go. Here we go. <laughs> Strutting down the avenue. <laughs> yep. You catch yourself in a shop window. You're looking pretty good. Yeah. Peer down yeah, your sunglasses. <laughs> Got some aviators on. <laughs> Fluff your hair a little bit. <laughs> yeah, these guys all had real fluffy hair. Yeah. Yeah, these guys wear those like Varney sunglasses or however you pronounce that with like the little leather flaps on yeah, the yeah, sides,、yeah. like the ski ones. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like 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 Dracula wears. <laughs> no, they're kind of like ski glasses or something. Yeah. You don't have to read that. This is good. <laughs> I. What do you think? Varney seems to have written songs. Yeah, they, they, they write songs about being so horny that it's literally like a physiological limitation. I'm hot blooded.、Yep. It's urgent.、Mm-hmm. I may very well die, girl. <laughs> <laughs> well, he says I'm hot blooded. Check it and see. I've got a fever of a hundred and three. Yeah, he needs to get a, a he needs to get a door、yeah. test. Absolutely. <laughs> He's gonna end up in the emergency room for horniness. This guy's vocals, though, it reminds me of just driving around my dad's van. Like <laughs> this was just a tape that he had on. Nice. Like, this. This is like jukebox hero and that kind of stuff. Just. That's a very. That's a for an adult. 103 is really bad, though. Like you, you'd be borderline emergency room there. <laughs> oh yeah, you should absolutely go to the doctor. Not the sex doctor, but just a general practitioner. I have a feeling all the doctors that foreigner goes to see are women that have like their hair up in a bun with a pencil,、yeah. and then at a certain point in the exam、uh, when he、yep. has a fever, they remove the pencil and then shake their hair free. Yes, and take off their nerdy glasses, quote unquote. Okay. All right. I love that we're. Yeah, it's, it's, this is going to be like a. For, we're just going to listen to all of Foreigner's greatest hits. That's like, fine. <laughs> just in real time. That's going to be a podcast. Like, yeah. <laughs> so what was the question again? Just、uh, our thoughts on think, how horny they are. I think. Yeah, I think we directly I, answered I think that, that they, a few times. Actually, their、uh, their horniness speaks for itself.、Mm-hmm. 
in 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 Vlad Blooded though he says Bef- uh, now it's up to you can we make a secret rendezvous oh before we do you have to get away from you know who who is he talking about Santa man. come on does that mean <laughs> Santa <laughs> Lou Lou oh, Graham well, is gonna thanks. steal that girl away from that dude <laughs> <laughs> okay Marriott player asks and this. As an example of us, a question we sometimes go back to from the mm. MinMax uh, Crossfade archives. Um, we asked this one on our uh, Steely Dan episode, Steely Dan versus Weird Al, but thought it'd be fun to bring it back because there's certainly more than one answer. Uh, Marriott Player asks, what are some albums that you remember having bad covers or artwork? Mm. And- oh, I have one. Uh, yeah, I've got one too. I would say like... Duel. Notoriously bad one is... Uh, Bare Naked Ladies, their debut album, Gordon, <laughs> is... I know this ab- picture. It is abysmal. <laughs> it's like this goofy picture of like this dorky band, and they later reissued it with just like their logo, but the initial, like, it was not the first pressing or anything like that, but for years, <laughs> that was your, your uh, introduction to that band, and uh, it's real <laughs> bad. I'm just now seeing this. Oh my god. Is that, Honestly, doesn't the one the guy have like this kind of like, like weird hat on or something? Yeah, like a Tambo Shanter. Yeah. Yes, I remember that. <laughs> I can I can actually vision that picture, Jeff. I know exactly what you're talking about. Like, yeah, it, it, it's brutal. That was like that's and, a used CD bin classic. Mm-hmm. Just that one. Is, what's the what's is it the Electric Larry Land? That's the other one with oh, the b- butthole surfers. Is that Electric. the pencil in the ear yep, cartoon yep. one? That's a that's yeah. a that's a used CD bin cut out bin. Well. Yeah. Um. Okay, so the, I'll preface this. This is uh album. You guys should <laughs> Google this when I pull it up. Okay. So Black oh, yeah. Flag, legendary punk uh, band, Henry yep. Rollins, back in the 80s. So Black Flag basically disintegrated into like bad feelings. And like the, the guitar player and founder Greg Ginn still kind of kept it going with like scrubs. Like him and Rollins hate each other, blah, blah, blah. Anyway, 2013, he, um, he uh, actually <laughs> reunited the band with a whole new... Um, a whole new lineup, and mm-hmm. I think for, even for a while, Mike Vallee was in it for a while, the skateboarder. Um, anyway, mm-hmm. so they come back with an album called "What the Dot Dot Dot," and I just mm-hmm. you guys should just it, it. I don't know if there's worse graphic design. Than oh. this. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, <laughs> and like Black Flag, their old covers are like super iconic, and like that Black Flag wow. logo and graphic design was like super iconic. And this is just like, it looks like yeah. a, a bad like cartoon from a public access station. It, it looks like they it got Kai's like a... power tools installed in Photoshop 1.0. Yeah, totally. <laughs> and this is from, this is like 2013. Yeah. I mean, this looks dated Holy for like 1994. Crazy. It's like so. It looks like a deep fried meme. Yeah. It's um. I, it's uh, because people like it was like oh Black Flag's doing a new album what and then it came out and it's just like what oh so no good. <laughs> so good. is there a reversible cover like, like on a like it's so- <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah but it's just that character this little crab character's <laughs> ass yeah. oh my god <laughs> anyway so that I thought that was a very strong entry Jason do you have one that is I'm gonna bring back this this question I I I don't I guess I don't know if it's intentional but like album covers mm-hmm. that don't appeal to me i tend to associate with the music a little too closely mm-hmm. and i end up like gravitating away from them so nothing like came to mind maybe we can ask this question again in the, in the future maybe that's just my revealing my prejudices uh that is the end of our list of com- uh, community questions thank you so much everybody for submitting them um again find us on itunes uh wherever you listen to podcasts 
you leave us a review, you can uh, leave us a rating, and find us at patreon.com slash minmax, where you'll get access to a bunch of cool stuff from the minmax family. The last thing we do as part of this episode is to play a community song, a song that one of our uh, generous supporters suggested that we listen to. Uh, Michael Lynch um, suggested that we listen to the song, What's He Building? by Tom Waits. Mm -hmm. So we'll play that over our outro. Love this song. Uh, Did either of you guys get a chance to listen to it? Yes. What did you think? I think that he... Tom Waits is great because he makes um, Miles and Greg sound like a couple Pavarotti's. (laughs) (laughs) No, I'm... This is like... It's so... It's an amazing thing. I don't... Yeah. No, I'm I'm a huge fan. This is off Mule Variations album, and I, I, uh, I'm a big Tom Waits fan. And actually, I, I saw him on this tour. The only time I ever saw him, uh, it was a great show, and I love this song. Also, if anyone's curious, on Prime right now, you can watch his '88 concert film called Big Time, which hmm. is kind of, I guess, a concert film is it's sort of a theater piece slash concert film slash weird. I don't know. You just have to watch it. It's clearly dubbed off an '80s VHS, so it's not very good quality, but. <laughs> Um, it's up there and it's, it's not like any other concert film you'll ever see for sure. Um, but yeah, I love this song. Uh, yeah, we'll play it over the outro. Um, uh, I suggest listening to this song while waltzing through your neighborhood, just, you know, mm-hmm. peering in windows and shit. Yeah. Bring binoculars. Be, yeah, be a weirdo <laughs> for a moment. Listen yeah. to Tom Wayne. Right. Um, before we head out, uh, Jeff, is there anything we can plug for you? Anything we can mention? Hmm. Your at on Twitter is a great place to start. Oh, geez. If you uh, want to take a break from tweeting, follow me at G.I. Jeff, because I don't ever tweet anything. So, Is your handle still please argue with me or whatever? Yes. <laughs> no point is too small. <laughs> yeah, I lost a bet with Leo Vader, and he got to change my, my handle, so that's what it was. <laughs> that's awesome. Um, Jeff, it's been really, it's been fun to hang out, man. I'm really glad, Absolutely. We, could, I'm glad we could do this. I miss you and I miss all the say hello to everyone at GI, even though you probably don't see them anymore either. Probably. So <laughs> I miss them you know, as well. Yeah, yeah, no doubt. But, um, it's been really, it's been fun, man. Beulah was great and yeah, yeah. It's, it's been, it's been good to kick it. So hopefully we'll get past this and we can all like go to happy hour sometime. I would love that. And I know like I'll take a spot behind Paul Charchin when you start doing repeat guests. Right I, on. Like Beulah was an instant pick, but it, I got a million of them that I'd love Absolutely. to talk about. Absolutely. We'd, so. we'd love to have you back. Anytime. Um, and also, we want we encourage you to go to patreon.com slash minmax and then support uh, minmax, which makes this show possible and makes all the uh, awesome content that they're doing with people like Leo Vader, Ben Hansen, and everyone. So uh, please uh, you know, support it if you can. And we, uh, we thank you all for listening. You have subscriptions to those magazines. He never waves when he goes by. He's hiding something from the rest of us. He's all to himself. I think I know why. He took down the tire swing from the pepper tree. He has no children of his own, you see. He has no dog. He has no friends. And his lawn is dying. What about all those packages he sends? What's he building in there? With that hook light on the stairs. What's he building in there? I'll tell you one thing, he's not building a playhouse for the children. What's he building in there? And what's that sound from underneath the door? 
pounding nails into a hardwood floor, and I swear to God I heard someone moaning low. I keep seeing the blue light of a TV show. He has a router and a table saw. And you won't believe what Mr. Stitches saw. There's poison underneath the sink, of course. But there's also enough formaldehyde to choke a horse. What's he building in there? What the hell is he building in there? I heard he has an ex-wife in some place called Mayor's Income, Tennessee. And he used to have a consulting business in Indonesia. But what's he building in there? He has no friends, but he gets a lot of mail. I'll bet he spent a little time in jail. I heard he was up on the roof last night signaling with a flashlight. What's that tune he's always whistling? What's he building in there? What's he building in there? We have a right to know.